Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also very good friends. And there has been there has been so many episodes of this podcast. I did the math, which is counting them. There are over 300 <laughs> episodes of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, which means we have more episodes than, let's see, popular TV sitcoms like Friends, or animated cartoons like Futurama, or... What else is there? We 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 have a ton of episodes. I do crazy? I, I do want to posit that the budget for the unnamed automotive podcast is slightly more affordable than <laughs> an hour of than an hour of friends. Uh, Sammy and I are not good negotiators, and we negotiated with each other on our contracts, and we negotiated way down below the floor. Um, yeah. I think actually actually after every episode, we owe each other money. <laughs> That's true. I do like that um, we have so many episodes of the podcast that our host tried to make us pay more for for them. And yeah, then that happened said, once. <laughs> we said, nah. <laughs> we worked that out, thankfully. Uh, the, the other thing is nice is we basically, anytime I want, I have 310 opportunities to listen to someone reaffirming our friendship. <laughs> I can go back in time. <laughs> it's helpful when we don't nice. get a chance to talk to each other. Yeah, when things are dark, you know? Like, it's been a long winter, I'm not going to lie. Uh, this is the last... We're recording this in March, but this is going to go out April 2nd. Uh, so this is the last podcast of the winter, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, technically, I think the winter ended last week, but... For those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, I guess you're entering into that. I know we have a decent listenership down in Australia, for sure. So uh, I'm sorry that that's about to happen to you, but we're coming out of it up here. It's also the last episode of my early 30s. Would you believe that? I would believe... Well, what is early 30s? Like, are you talking, like, dark side of your 30s? Like, like downhill slope from 35? Is that what we're talking about? That uh, That's going to start soon for me. Okay, how do you feel about that? I don't know. We'll see how it goes. So you're saying that you're entering kind of the winter of your life. <laughs> you yeah, are the exactly. Australia of this podcast right now, chronologically. Um, yeah, I would suppose so. Where are, where are you? Right now? Yeah. Um, I'm in. I'm the Narnia of the podcast. I'm, oh, yeah, like a, good. Like a region of time that's so old and decrepit, it doesn't. you have to go through a wardrobe to get to it, and it's ruled by a lion who may or may not be dead. <laughs> <laughs> but we enjoy that. We enjoy that, that journey every time. I'm going to let our listeners go on a further journey by finding out where they can find your le- latest work, Ben. Can you tell them? Sure. You can. I mean, outside of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you can find my work at uh, Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at Nouveau Magazine, Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Electric Autonomy Canada, and let's go with Automotive News. Electric okay? Autonomy Canada. That's a, that's a new one. That's a new one, yeah. I'm There's excited. always a new one. I'm always writing for someone new. <laughs> always switching it up. I try. I try so much. You know, the this, fun the fun yeah. thing about it being winter almost over here in Canada, that was an awkward sentence, is that it means cars are going to start coming out to play again. I'm going to – I plan to be taking my Jeep out of storage this weekend. And um, also the Datsun's going to be coming out within a week or two after that. I'm waiting to have – so a couple, about a year ago, someone kicked a pylon onto the track while I was driving and there was no way to avoid it without horrendously damaging the vehicle. So I ran over it and I, I tore up the valence on the front of the Datsun and I finally found a replacement and I'm trying to get it painted, but it's not, when you go to a paint shop with like a part, like one part, especially one that's quite small, 
it's not easy to get it done because they don't want to go into the booth and set everything up just to do one part. So you kind of have to wait for other parts that are similar in color to come along so they can be done together. That's where I'm at now. I'm just waiting to get that done. Uh, once that's out and on the car again, I can get the Datsun out, kind of dust off the cobwebs and get it ready. My first track event of the year is on the 28th of April and uh, or the 29th, I guess. And uh, that's, that's really that's really soon. It's it, we're, we're taking some chances with the weather, but fingers crossed that it'll be OK. I think you'll be fine. I can't wait, actually. And um, I'm going to yeah. be towing with the with the Jeep, too, for the first time. Now that I have the air suspension in the back and yep. the, the new leaf springs and everything installed, I am finally going to do it. And <laughs> I How do have, you feel about that? Well, I'm a little scared because the headlights yeah. aren't great. And uh, I don't know if I've told you, but the brights are on all the time <laughs> in, in the Jeep because there's a, a metal bar in the steering. So for those of you who aren't familiar, I have a 1987 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. It's an old SUV and I have a, a modern LS engine swapped into it and I was building it. It's my daily driver in the summer, but I also I also plan to tow my, my track car with it. So it's got a bunch of, it, it's generally in great shape, but uh, you know, things go wrong from time to time and sometimes they're hard to fix. So in the steering column of the Jeep, there's like a metal bar that pushes down on the switch for the dimmer for the headlights and it's yeah. attached to you know the normal kind of like turn signal switch that you would normally dim headlights with. Well, Mine doesn't work properly anymore. It's the brights are always on. It's because the uh, so you're meta- saying the, the lights are on always. These these high, high beams are always on because yeah. uh, it's the, not on purpose. No, the metal bar has <laughs> slipped off of the switch inside the steering column at the base. So in order oh, to get at it, you have to remove a bunch of stuff under the dash and then kind of realign the piece of metal. It doesn't move at all right now. Now, I know you're thinking like, oh, I'm that jerk who's driving around with his high beams on. But I assure you that like 35-year-old high beams <laughs> are completely unnoticeable in a modern context where every car has the most blinding headlights you can possibly imagine. But it's... I will say as somebody who drives a fairly low vehicle, it feels like everyone is blinding me at all times. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a relief from that. It's also better that the high beams are on because that way, if I'm by myself on the highway, I have a decent amount of light instead of just it being low beams all the time. But it's prevented me from, ins- I want to install, Holly has this new set of LED headlights for old cars that look exactly like sealed beams. Cool. Um, which is tough to find. Like previously, LED replacements for classic cars, they looked really out of place, I found. Like the, the design was just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to put that on an older car, but this, you can't tell looking at them, they're LED, but I can't put them on the car yet because I have high beams on all the time and I would definitely blind everybody. So I'm kind of trying to figure out that situation. Yeah. I don't getting under the dash of the Jeep. I have to remove the whole air conditioning system and it's a little complicated. So I haven't done it yet. Um, that sounds complicated. That sounds like, um, you're, you've got a lot to look forward to, but I want to talk about something that you've been looking forward to for a long time. Oh, years. Your what do you what did you use to call it? Your my white whale. Your white whale. Okay, I don't quite know the reference of that. Have you ever heard of a book called Moby Dick, Sammy? Mm, this is I think guy, my search. I think my search engine automatically filters out the word dick. Well, if you search up Herman Melville, he was a writer. I want to say in the eighteen hundreds who wrote an epic about a guy named Captain Ahab who was obsessed with with tracking down this white sperm whale called that he named Moby Dick because the whale had taken his leg or some some something like that 
or it had they had bad blood anyway okay so you've whole, managed to you've got this whale of your own yeah that whale for me was the genesis g90 which is i mean a whale in the sense that it's a huge full-size executive sedan the likes of which are increasingly falling out of favor with modern buyers but also in the sense that i think i booked it three or four times and every time i was supposed to drive it it would either get pulled from service or i would have to cancel it because i was traveling somewhere or it would get damaged somehow and this i this, think yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? I think this vehicle has gone through like a re- a refresh in a new yeah, generation. I think so. In the, in the time in which you were trying to book it. Yeah, so I got a chance to finally drive it last week and oh boy, Sammy, it is it is ex- more than what I had hoped for. Really? Yeah. So I I am going to go out on a limb here, as I usually tend to do on the podcast. Yeah, you're always on a limb. I think we are recording constantly on a limb here. And say that this is the best car I have driven this year. Well, I mean, we're only one quarter of the or two quarters of the of the year in. Are we two quarters? One two quarter quarters. of the year in. <laughs> one quarter of the year in. And uh, I would be I would be impressed if that's true. What is the story here? Why is it so um, impressive? And again, full-size sedans have been, especially luxury cars, has been a class that's been dominated, especially by the Germans, I think. The yeah. S-Class, the 7 Series. A8, I think, is quite decent, too. But it doesn't seem to get as many um, hits as the other ones. And then there used to be a time when the Lexus LS was uh, super competitive. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. So there are a bunch of things I liked about this car, especially as it compares to pretty much all of the models that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll start with how it looks. I think that the G90 is maybe the best expression of the brand's styling language that they have so far. And it wears that really big kind of downward facing diamond grille quite well. It's got the razor slit headlights up front that kind of go back along the fenders into slits that, that match the, I guess at the same, it's right about the belt line of the vehicle. Um, And then, but then at the back, if you look at the car, it has kind of like a cam back ducktail thing going on. Okay. Yes. Where it's like, it's not quite a hatchback, but it has a little bit of a lip and then a kind of an arrow scoop out of the bumper. I think that looks fantastic. It's what I like about the design of the G90 is you look at the, the BMW 7 series and it's kind of chunky. It's like a square rectangular vehicle. I'm not saying it's unattractive, but it's, it's not really a flowing design. It's more of an imposing design. And then mm-hmm. if you look at the S class, I think it just doesn't have very many details. Like, it's fine, but when I look at it, I don't necessarily find it has a lot of road presence. The G90 is a spectacular car to look at from pretty much every angle. And it it really does have personality in a visual sense. And I think that's something that was kind of missing from full-size cars, uh, especially full-size luxury cars. I think you're 100% right. I think the 7 Series and S-Class are a little bit anonymous looking, um, which is... Unfortunate. I think when you have there, there is an element to this this class, um, which is to say that they're kind of expensive. They're 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 meant to make you feel kind of special and exclusive. And I think good design, you know, standout design, is a major element of that of that feeling. Yeah, and and that continues inside the vehicle. And I think this is maybe the strongest argument or one component of the strongest argument that the G ninety makes versus its rivals. So many of the luxury cars we look at these days, especially at the high end, are all about the interiors are very technology focused. And we've increased just screen. They just screen. The full dashboard is a screen. Uh, Everything around the screen is piano black. There's no detail. There's no sense that you're 
the, the, the environment you're inside of has been designed for like an organic being. You know what I mean? It's like we're going to wow you with pixel depth and processor speed and all sorts of gadgets. But we're going to do it inside an environment that feels, frankly, quite clinical. Like I'm either in the, a clean room at Intel or maybe I'm in an operating theater. Like it's – I think BMW is less guilty of that. But I find Mercedes – you know, you look, the EQS is the perfect example, the EV version of their flagship. Yeah. The interior of that car – it, it's almost at odds with itself. Like there's aspects of it that are very kind, like the leather and the design of the seats and the upholstery and whatnot inside the car is nice. But then you contrast that against a dashboard that when the car is off, it's just black plastic looking back at you. Yeah. And that's not something that appeals to me personally. I find that the G90, the way it has, it, it has a couple of screens, you know, there's one in front of the driver, there's one in the center stack, but it's incorporated in this kind of free flowing dashboard that's made of wood and leather and, looks really nice to be honest the the only there's a couple of weird parts of it like there's these really big switches on either side of the gauge binnacle for like upping the the lighting inside the vehicle like the, the switches okay. are huge like honestly i don't know like two or three inches <laughs> i i think that if they weren't switches they would just be chrome accents but because they're switches your eye is drawn to them and you're kind of like why is that so big okay um, but everything else uh you don't just have this nice integration of screens into kind of an organic environment, but you also have hard buttons and dials in addition mm-hmm. to everything that's going on those screens. It's very easy to interact with the car, and I really appreciated that. I think Genesis in particular, or maybe Hyundai, has has actually come out on record and said um, they think the whole touchscreen thing isn't uh, isn't conducive to good design. They want um, more physical buttons. I think they're they're the ones. I'm going to double check later. Um, and, and ensure that's the case. But it seems like that's true. The car seems r- really reasonable to, like, I'm just looking at it. It seems like you've got buttons and switches and dials and rotary knobs all in the right place. Yeah. And that would make it fairly easy to to run. Talk to me about the accents and the materials in this car, though, because I think that's what really makes a flagship SUV kind of pop, right? Really top notch. It really feels every inch of the price that you're paying for it. Uh, even in the back seat, which has full recline, has a kind of a little ottoman thing. It has a um, a massage feature for all four corners. You can control stuff from the back using a little. There's like a, a little touch screen and some buttons there as well. Uh, it has full privacy for people in the back seat in terms of screens coming up in the back window and the side windows. It's it's really from every position in this car, you're getting a very high end experience, and. Inside, it's quiet, it's comfortable, you kind of feel, it has that nice balance between floating from point A to point B, but also not floating in a, in a detached way, more in an insulated way. Uh, there's really nothing to complain about from the car in that aspect. Um, okay. There's... I, I, then what? I, the, the one thing about the car that I didn't like in terms of like the interior features that we're talking about... It has these automatic opening doors, and I would like say... Like a minivan? No. Well, I mean, they don't slide open like a minivan, but if you're inside the car, there's, like, buttons for the front and the rear, where if you push those buttons, you could open and close the doors. Like, um, at the front, they're on the center console and the door itself, like the little door release. Okay. At the back, it's on the center console there um, for, for people who are riding in the rear. And... It, it'll open and automatically close, like pull them closed. It works really well. The only issue is when you're outside the car and you pull on the handle, they kind of pop open and then stop. And then you have to pull them the rest of the way. And you can kind of feel the weight and the resistance of the motor when you're doing that. And that was a bit of a hassle. 
It's very Rolls Royce, actually, though. Like Rolls Royce has this feature, but I don't yeah. think it's as um, detented. Like I don't know what the what the word no, is. No, I like think I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's kind of the vibe I got from it. Separated, right? Yeah. Between o- closed, open, and moving, right? Yeah. You know these three different aspects of the of the door. Interesting. Okay, but talk to me about what's what it what it's like to drive this thing. It's one thing to be inside one of the one of these flagship SUVs, and it sounds like for the most part. The Genesis delivers that feeling, but driving it has to be engaging too. As we mentioned, the, the the key competitors are German automakers, and they've been handling this, you know, highway cruiser style flagship SUV for a long time, right? Yeah. So there are a couple of differences between what you would get from the G90 and what you would get from um, what you said, an, uh, an Autobahn type cruiser. The, the Genesis does not pretend that you're going to be on the Autobahn traveling at triple digit speeds all day long. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is it comes with, there's two engine options available with it. It used to have a V8, but not anymore. It's got a twin turbo V6 and the base one is, uh, I think it's like 88 grand and it's 375 horsepower. And then they have an E supercharged model that's 409 horsepower. The, okay. Those are the only options with the car. Like everything else. Those is, don't sound particularly... Uh... Well, you know, like eye popping, they don't sound that impressive. The e, the e supercharged model uses a it's like a forty eight volt hybrid system and an electric okay. supercharger that gives you kind of more low end uh, acceleration. the 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 car feels very effortless, but it doesn't feel sporty. It doesn't feel like a high performance car. It it feels like you have exactly enough power for pretty much every situation. And it's also not a high, it's not a high performance sedan in the sense that, I mean, it has a sport mode and paddle shifters, but there's really no point in using them. It makes the car feel a little sharper, but this is a very large car riding on an air suspension that has been tuned specifically for comfort. And I think that that's how this car should be appreciated. And I I, I like the way that Genesis has divorced the idea of high-end luxury from all-out performance because I don't think they have to be the same thing. It'll still do 60 in like 5.1 seconds. It's more than enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's so big, so that, those are pretty good numbers, you know? That's but, true. but you're not going to get a twin-turbo V8 like you would with the Germans. And uh, I'm okay with that, especially considering that at its most pricey, it's like a $99,000 car. That's $14,000 less than the cheapest S-Class. That's not bad. Okay. Um, but talk to me as well. You know, you mentioned um, the motor and, you know, the like, is it soft? Is it how soft, right? Like, and... You know, do you need that feedback or that feeling in the steering? Does it feel like a big car to drive when it, you're when you're piloting it? It feels like a big car, but you're constantly relaxed. There's nothing. Okay. There's no tense moments in it. It's it's a car where you could honestly drive all day and not feel fatigued by that. And I, just to go back to pricing, when I said that it's fourteen thousand less than the S five hundred, the S five hundred only has four hundred twenty nine horsepower. So okay. it's so it's, it's 20, not a big yeah yeah. And if you want a lot of the features that you get standard with the g90 you're going to be paying thousands and thousands in extra options packages because that's how uh mercedes operates and the the bmw 7 series starts at like five thousand less than the most expensive g90 but it has less power and again less features so this is really a value play in a segment where you don't often see value and that's always been the thing with uh with genesis Genesis? yeah and and in that way Like, I'm not even considering the LS500 from Lexus in this conversation. I feel like the existence of the Genesis really pushes the Lexus into irrelevance. Uh, It's a car that I think came on strong originally in the 90s. 
as an alternative to Mercedes. Mercedes quickly caught up in terms of quality and whatnot. Um, and and I don't think that the price gap between the Mercedes and the Lexus really gets you the same kind of value that you find in the Genesis, which is just more pleasant to drive overall. Interesting. Um, I think that uh, that's an important thing to just to talk about. But I also think it's worrying about when it comes to this class of vehicle. Is there still place uh, and market for? Full-size uh, full sedans. I think Luxury if they sedans. sell a few thousand of these a year, they'll be ecstatic. Okay. I think that's so kind basically of... Basically, no. Very low bar. No, I don't, think, I don't think anyone's really interested in these cars anymore. I think the people who are buying the S-Class do it because the S-Class still has huge cultural cachet. The mm-hmm. badge really means something. The car means something. People know what it is. I think if you're buying a G90, you have to be okay with the fact that people might not understand what a Genesis is. But they're definitely going to be impressed with how it looks. I don't think that's an issue whatsoever for this vehicle. Okay, I think that's fair. Is there anything you wanted in this vehicle that you didn't get? I wanted to be able to open the rear door from the front. Really? If I'm going to have... if I'm gonna Oh, have, yeah. I mean, if you have powered doors. Yeah, and if I'm a chauffeur, I want to be able to open and close that door from the driver's seat. If that's possible, I couldn't find a way to do it. It's a little strange because the driver can actually move the passenger seat forwards and backwards and whatnot, mm-hmm. which is a way to make the passenger in the rear more comfortable if they need more legroom and, and, and that kind of thing. So I was a little surprised that I couldn't find the feature to, do the, to open the passenger door as well. Uh, but maybe it's there. Maybe it's not. Interesting. Um, and... and- do you think that this is going to put um, – like I actually think that our previous generation G90 um, already kind of spurred the Germans into action. Saying that the 7 Series is actually – did you say less expensive than this Yeah, it's, I think it starts at 95. <clears throat> that says something to me. Like, the, I don't like think... the base G90 is 88, but if you get like the full low G90, it's 99. Yeah. So – that's that's kind of the one I was going with because it has the extra power and whatnot. So you're getting a you're getting a, a G90 that has no need no need for extra packages or options. There's no ex, there are no extra packages or options. But a but but a base seven series for five thousand dollars less will definitely have options. Yes, right? well you'll need to get some options for sure. And it has less power than either version of the G90. Okay, I believe it's I think, like three hundred and thirty or something. That sounds like, that. like the straight six in in a BMW, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which has always surprised us. I mean, in terms of power delivery. Sure, it's a great motor, but uh, if you were just shopping numbers, I mean, okay. I I like the twin turbo V6, the very quiet, um, very capable twin turbo V6 in the G90 as well. I I guess I don't need 600 horsepower in my giant sedan. Like, wh- no. what am I going to do with that? You know, in North no, America, you're... in North America especially, where we're not passing people at 150 miles an hour. Yeah, you're just basically risking speeding tickets all the time. Yeah. Um. Okay, then the final question essentially is, did this car make you feel what you think the drivers or the shoppers want to feel? I, it made me feel special. It's a very special car. That, that's just, it's weird. I, I don't really feel that way about cars very often these yes. days. Yes, that's why I wanted to ask that question because, and particularly because you said this is the best car you drove yeah. this year. It's important to, to put that in perspective because it's it's a vehicle that hits its targets and does it with... A little bit extra too, I think. I would, I would honestly be happy to daily drive this car. Mm-hmm. I, I think that whoever has that opportunity, I mean, this is a car where you're sitting in traffic and it's totally cool. Like you feel good about it because everything about the vehicle, you just feel like you're in a special place. That's that's a very relaxing state of mind to be in. I was never frustrated while driving this vehicle. I have had so few vehicles that I think feel exactly that way, and of them, they definitely aren't just night. Like I would say. 
I had that feeling in like an Alpina B7 in the past. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like $200,000 car. Um, and that also carries some tension because it's so expensive. So even then, it's not it's not as effortless and, and you know, good feeling as a G90. Interesting. Um, I want to continue the, our, our Genesis conversation because I just drove the electric version of the GV70. Which is an interesting idea because, first of all, I think the Genesis GV70 is, and I think you would agree, is one of their better products in the in the portfolio, and is now when it's going electric, this is a different this is a different ball game because, in particular, the Hyundai Kia Group has been using this eGMP platform, and the GV70 doesn't use that platform, even though it uses the same powertrain essentially as the. Um, Genesis GV60 and the Ionic 5 and the Kia EV6. It, when you so you say powertrain, is it the same battery? It is the same battery and it's the same motors as how, you would find in a GV60. So how do they make it fit in the other platform? Like, is it have a taller floor or how does that? No, work? there is no. There is okay. There is a very uh, small difference in terms of um, cargo room. I think it's like like three liters or something like three and nine liters. Uh, so that's different. that's almost a gallon. I don't know how many cubic feet. That <laughs> yeah, is. it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and I think that's really interesting. The car basically uses the same powertrain at the front and rear of the vehicle. Um, the the motors combine for 483 horsepower um, when you press a boost button on the on the steering wheel. And that's way more than you would get in a gas version of the GV70. Yes, it is significantly more than the gas version I think of the what, GV70. They're, they're limited to like 375 or something like yes. that? Yes, and that's in the twin turbo or turbocharged V6 model, not twin I, turbo. Yeah, so that's the same engine as, as in the base G90. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the only issue I have with this vehicle is the range seems a little bit um, diminished at 300, uh, sorry, at 236 miles, which puts it between the two trims of the GV60. Okay, so... I have some ideas about that. Okay. So the GV70 is a, is it's quite a bit larger than the GV60. Yes, it is bigger than the GV60. So that's going to eat up a little bit of range right there, both in terms of aero and weight. And yep. then you start to look at the fact that this is not an EV-specific platform, which means there are mm -hmm. compromises in the platform that are there to service the gas engine that wouldn't be there if it had been designed from the ground up to be electric only. Very true. So yeah. I feel like those two things really explain away why the range is short, smaller than you would find in a dedicated EV. Although the, I, the, I believe there are versions of the Ionic and the the uh, Kia uh, EV6 that are close to that in range, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, one of the interesting things as well is the vehicle rides, you know, so many of these EVs, they say that if you change the, t you know, if you opt for the smaller wheels or something like that, you'll get a little bit more range, like maybe 10 or 20%. Yeah. Um, I think the Genesis could use that because this thing currently rides, I think, on 20s. Yeah, only rides on 20s. Yeah, that's definitely um, having some type of impact for sure. So that's concerning. The car weighs over 5,000 pounds, but the platform, we talked about the platform not being there, but the electrical architecture is still here. So you do have that um, 800, I, I believe it's 800 volt architecture that allows this thing to take advantage of some high speed charging networks. Um, and they say, you know, theoretically, in ideal conditions, you can charge it from 10 to 80% in 18 minutes. We've heard that number kind of repeated by the Kia EV6 and the Ionic yeah. um, <clears throat> 5 and the GV60. So, you know, even though it doesn't ride on that same platform, they've managed to squeeze in all of this technology into the vehicle. 
and it, it seems to be working. Honestly, I found that this powertrain very good. Car did not feel like it was overwhelmed by the added weight of the um, of the electric powertrain. There's so little here that I could really complain about, and I think more so that I was impressed with because it made the transition from a gas platform, gas gas-powered vehicle, to an even better electrified version. The only limit is that uh, is that range. So, and I, I just looked up some numbers. That you said five thousand pounds. Yes. So that's nine hundred pounds heavier than the lightest GV70. Okay. And a thousand pounds heavier than the lightest Ionic Five. That's that's a big that's a big jump. Because yes. you can get a rear wheel drive version of the Ionic Five, right, with a smaller battery. Yes. So even the heaviest Ionic Five is forty six hundred pounds. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're, you're talking about a sizable yeah, weight difference. Definitely. But I mean, this is a bigger vehicle. Yes, yes, um, but like, but it's also the heaviest GV70 is 4,400 pounds. So yeah. it's it's still you know that 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 impact is definitely going to be felt. The other interesting part about this um, vehicle, same problem that I have with the G80 EV, um, is that the charge port is right on the nose of the vehicle in the the fake grill, which means that you always have to kind of think twice about where you're. Or where your home charger is, for example, and where, how you want to park your car in your garage. But I mean, how is that different than having it on the back quarter panel? I think with that, first of all, you can you can you know with a long enough cable, I suppose it's, it's no problem. But I think it means that if you already have an, um, a charger, you know, installed in a, in a location, that you have to accommodate that location every like in a specific way. That's and true. I think- I, although the cable on my charger at home is twenty five feet long. That's massive. Holy. Okay. I mean, I don't like to brag, but Um, it is what it is, Sammy. (laughs) I think this is an important thing to talk about is that this is now the third EV from Genesis. And and not even, and like the third, like non-dedicated EV. No, the GV60 is Sorry, second second non, of the three, two of them are based on ICE platforms. And when I talked about the G80, the G80 was good. It had more range than the GV70, but it had way less power. I think it was like 300 or under 300 horsepower. And now with this GV70, you've just got so much more capability here. Like it, it just feels like a special vehicle, and it already did feel like a special vehicle. I think that's what I'm trying to say here is that they've managed to turn and they've managed to give a very good product, a new powertrain, um, and not lose much in the process. And it's interesting the- to me too that we have this company that has um, mm-hmm. put in put in the effort to yes. transform its gas-powered cars into electric cars. It, BMW has done this exactly one time uh, in its existing lineup. No, they two have, times. Well, the i4 and the i7. I thought the i7 was designed from the ground up to be an EV. I think the i7 shares a lot with the 7 Series. Okay, I I just thought that platform had been more okay. EV focused. I know that the platform. I, I guess my point is the G80 platform and the GV70 platform are older. Yes, and, significantly older. Yeah, yeah, and they're able to accommodate this electricity. Uh, the the BMW has done it. I don't think Mercedes has done it with any of their existing vehicles. Um, I don't think Audi has done it either. I think maybe EQB is based on the B GLB. Maybe I maybe I'm I not don't sure. know. It's hard to tell. It is hard forms. to tell. But it's certainly not three, you no. know, and certainly not three of their more popular vehicles or sorry, two of their more popular vehicles. When I was writing my story for this, um, I kept thinking about how when Genesis first arrived, it had, I think, two 
or three sedans. It had I one sedan actually. Uh, I went to the <laughs> I went to the Genesis G90 launch. I want to okay. say in 2017, and that was their product that they they led with in North America, which was kind of crazy at the time because yeah. even then no one was buying large luxury SUVs or sorry and large they luxury sedans. That, they followed it up with more sedans. Yeah, the G70 SUV. was next, I believe. Yes. So now they've got these three. I mean, I, I think the GV60 we can call it an SUV. They they certainly do. Um, we've got these three EVs that are quite good. We've got three electric cars that are quite good. I think you know if there was any skepticism of the brand um, when it first launched, and I think there wasn't a lot, but I think there were a couple of people who were who are curious about the strategy, especially the early all sedan strategy. Um, they're gone. Like I, I think there's zero doubt in in what Genesis is able to deliver these days. Honestly, one of the vehicle companies out there that I think just keeps hitting home run after home run. Well, how disappointing will will it be when they when they don't right? Like I know. We... <laughs> when they get to their imperial phase and they're just like releasing products with their badge on it, and that's all they care about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, but but I I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to enjoy where we are right now with Genesis. Uh, the thing I'm I like say there is there is a I think fatal flaw to the Genesis GV70 and it's the pricing. It starts at sixty seven thousand five hundred fifty and it goes up to seventy three thousand dollars or almost seventy four thousand dollars, which puts it at a significantly higher price range than the uh, Cadillac Lyric and closer to let's say the BMW iX in some in some trim levels or X, Model X as well. Uh, and I think that's a problem. Doesn't the Model X start at Oh, like no, the Model 000? X is very expensive. Yeah, Sorry. it's extremely expensive. <laughs> I got caught off guard there. What I like about Genesis is that Hyundai clearly has a ton of cash to spend, and they're just going to keep spending it. You know, that that's... It, I think that that message has been clear since day one, and they have not lifted their foot off the accelerator. It's just been, we're going to shovel as much cash into this brand as we can to make it a success. We're not going to bother doing something unless we do it all the way. And they really are doing it all the way. Look at... Genesis versus Acura. We talk about this all the time, or Genesis versus Infinity, you know, or the American brands, right? Uh, Lincoln has not done anything of note for a, a, a short while. While these guys are hitting every heart of every important market and impressing people at the same time, right? Yeah, and it's and Acura. I think that if you go back to the '90s, Acura and Infinity had this kind of energy at the beginning of their of their run as well, and then it petered out, and they didn't follow up on that. I think you had a good ten years from both of those brands, and then they maybe settled into this idea: okay, we know how many units we're going to sell every year, and we know how much we can spend to keep it there. But they never went past that. They never said. Here's how much we have to invest in order to catch up to Mercedes-Benz or whoever it is. And I know that they might do more volume than Mercedes or BMW, but they're certainly not more profitable. And I feel like Genesis looked at how difficult it is to enter any kind of market, especially the the luxury car market, Mm -hmm. and realized that if they were going to do it, they were not going to follow the same models that had failed these other luxury brands. They were going to do it in a way that made a huge splash. That money spending idea, that process, that business side of things, is an interesting is an interesting perspective. I think you're right. I think they want to spend um, th- as much money to get as much market share and and basically take over. But the GV70, I mean, it shares parts with other vehicles in the Hyundai Kia, you know, portfolio. The right. the battery, but, like we just said, but not not obviously, right? Like not obviously. Yeah, I mean, EVs are going to be like Lego when it comes to drivetrains. They're going to be, essentially all be the same because it's. There's not a lot of difficulty in terms of um, 
building an electric motor. There's not a lot of expertise that goes into that. The real, I guess the real expertise goes into battery design and energy management, right? Yeah. So I, 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 I was saying that because, sorry, I was saying that because they're not the only ones to do that. I think out the Volkswagen Auto Group, whatever you want to call it, the giant Volkswagen umbrella can do all of this, but they just don't hit with the same precision and impressiveness as these Genesis products do. But do I they? think I think that part of that might be because if you look at the European market, which is the home market for mm. um, for Volkswagen, an Audi isn't necessarily considered a high-end luxury car in the same way it's marketed here. But Porsche is, right? Sure, Porsche is, but Porsche has also been small volume its entire life. And mm. Porsche is almost a boutique kind of brand. And I don't think Hyundai wants Genesis to be boutique. I'm not saying that they aren't right now because sales are still nascent. But I, I feel like the, the philosophy is different. I, okay. I kind of feel like Genesis is designed to conquer North America. I don't think Kia or, or Hyundai, sorry, would be happy if they did really great in their home market because I think they already own their home market. I don't think that <laughs> I don't think there's any challenge for them there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I think that the real prestige for them comes from conquering North America. I don't think Porsche minds too much if it conquers North America or not. I think it's happy with, with its market position there, and it's happy with the fact that it's dominant at home as well. That's an interesting perspective. I'm I not sure... just talking off the top of my head. Yeah, Obviously, I'm not sure it, it, that's totally true. And I don't know if I would even call Porsche a, a very... I mean, yeah, it's not Toyota and Lexus, I suppose. But when the Cayenne happened and the Macan happened, and you know they started selling a ton of cars in a short period of time... That's that changed Porsche's sort of like mindset to me, and I think they're not they're not afraid of going after mass ma- larger markets, right? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, anything else you want to talk about when it comes to this uh, GV70? I mean, we've talked about the GV70 in the past. Everything about this car is more or less the same. Um, still got that uh, that really impressive design. It feels like a class above at times. Just. It feels like now it's you're, you're paying for it with the EV. You I would, have to really want an electric version of this car. I would love. It. I would love to see a BMW X3 with like the iX drivetrain. That would be bonkers, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, or, even the uh, what is the i4 M40? Well, whatever it is, the the i4 electric is also a very good car. So it's I, very good, right? So, I would love to see BMW just kind of go more in that direction and give us these electrified flavors of their existing ga- gas vehicles. So we've gotten a peak of of BMW's capabilities. We need to see that, you know, continue on through the rest of the the lineup. Yeah, for sure. And and whether or not they'll be able to do that with more range or more performance or better price is yet to be seen with this with this class. It's, it's interesting, Sammy, because next week I'm actually going to be uh, driving a an i7, uh, mm-hmm. which I haven't had the chance to do. We won't be talking about it next week. We're talking about it in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I'm I'm really curious to see how that platform feels with uh, with batteries instead of um, hydrocarbons. Now I want to I want to make a, a, a very short tangent because I recently went on an event and, and drove some Jaguars, but Jaguar says its intention is to go all electric by 2025, which is very soon. And this company has one full electric vehicle. It's the iPace, an iPace that has not changed significantly since it debuted in 2018 or 17. And yet here we have Genesis who says they want to do the same thing by 20, I think, 30 and has already gotten three uh, impressive, you know, sort of class leading electric vehicles. You know, you want to talk about being able to spend or, you know, actually make your your goals a reality. We're seeing two different, very different approaches to such a, a, a strategy. I think that's because the people behind Jaguar 
do not have the deep pockets that Hyundai does in the sense that they're not focused on the automotive market exclusively. Yeah. Or, or I'm not saying Hyundai is, but like Hyundai's automotive operations are much larger. The other issue is when Jaguar says we're going to be electrified by X date, I think what that means is we're going to have one or two vehicles, period, <laughs> in our yeah. entire lineup. Because Jaguar has not been profitable for a very long time, and I feel like we're on the verge of seeing them disappear, except as a very boutique type of offering, which is too yeah. bad because I like the brand. No, but I mean, I'm trying to say it's it's so crazy. You know, when you read these new, when you read these snippets, these little thoughts about where an automaker wants to be or is planning to go, there's some that you have more confidence with, and Jaguar's not that right now, especially as as we make this jump to to electrified vehicles, right? Yeah, I think you would be seeing a lot of the electrified platforms on the Land, Land Rover side kind of working their way over to a Jaguar platform. Sure, but I mean, all of these luxury brands have said it. I think Acura has said it, Infinity has said it. Those Both of those brands don't have a single electric vehicle. Honda they doesn't have, have a single electric vehicle. I think their yeah. first electric vehicle comes out in 2024. And it might be based on a, on, it might be sharing technology with a GM product. Sure. Which I mean, you know, it's not their thing. So it's, it's just a wild to see some automakers able to spend and invest um, in this strategy, in this technology, and you know whether or not it works long term for them is is yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. But from a confidence perspective, you can you can tell who you want to go with if you were to buy a new car, a new electric vehicle, right? Definitely. So, Sammy, yes, sir. Moving off the EV kick for a second. Okay. What are you going to be driving and talking about next week? Um, I've got a Kia Telluride to talk about. It's the Kia, Kia Telluride X Pro, I believe, is the is the trim level I had. Wait a minute, you're driving. You're going to be talking about a Kia Telluride. I'm also going to be talking about a Kia Telluride. Okay, well that's okay. I think that's a good idea. What was your tri- What was your trim level? X Pro. Mine's the X Line. Ooh, we've got a bit of a difference there. Do they all start with X? <laughs> we'll find out next week. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if you would like to ask us Telluride-related questions before we start the episode, um, before we record the episode, I should say, the best way to do that, there's a couple of ways you can get it done. Um, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, fill out the feedback form there, click submit, and it ends up in our inbox. Or you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Sammy prefers the cesspool at his Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can also email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. When you go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you'll see all of our previous 300 plus episodes. You'll find a way to uh, subscribe to the podcast with a bunch of buttons at the top, or you could just search for us in your podcast client or podcatcher as it is. Just search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast. There's also a contact form. I don't know if Ben mentioned that. I'm going to repeat it anyways. Um, contact form at the website. You fill that out. It lands in our inbox. We respond to you or we talk about it on the podcast, which is which is pretty good. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.